Heavenly Father, I would pray that thy spirit might attend, that those who have ears to hear and minds to listen will hear the words of my voice, that the Holy Spirit will come down and comfort and give solace to those who are mourning and suffering on this day, that joy might fill their hearts and replace the pain of whatever trial they're currently experiencing. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a reading from the Book of Mormon, Mosiah chapter 3, verse 5. For behold, the time cometh and is not far distant, that with power the Lord omnipotent who reigneth, who was and is from all eternity to all eternity, shall come down from heaven among the children of men and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay and shall go forth amongst men working mighty miracles such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and curing all manner of diseases. The Rose, this is Jenny, Jenny Hatch singing The Rose. Some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger, an endless aching need. I say love, it is a flower, and you, it's only seed. It's the heart afraid of breaking that never learns to dance. It's the dream afraid of waking that never takes the chance. It's the one who won't be taken, who cannot seem to give. And the soul, afraid of dying, that never learns to live. When the night has been too lonely and the road has been too long and you think that love is only for the lucky and the strong. 
Just remember in the winter far beneath the bitter snow lies the seed that with the sun's love in the spring becomes the rose it is august oh goodness what's today i don't even know 20 something august 26th, 2022, and I am doing a test for my call-in show, checking out the audio and seeing how well it has recorded my cover of this song. I'm starting a new show, and on September 1st, this show will kick off on call-in. You can also find it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. The goal of my show is to comfort those who are in mourning. All of us have lost somebody over the last little while, whether it's a friend or family member. I lost my fellow activist friend, Sherry Kane, on January 7th, 2021, and I've been mourning her ever since and um, so I think we're all kind of struggling right now trying to find our footing I think perhaps even wondering who's next who, who else is going to leave us from this frail existence that we call mortality we all maybe feel a little bit nervous wondering what sort of impact uh, various things are going to have on our lives in terms of our health and our financial well-being and our future. And I love the message of the song, The Rose. I, I learned this song when it first came out, when Bette Midler sang it for her movie of the same name. And the first time I heard it, I just loved it. And I decided as a little eighth grader, this was going to become one of my songs that I just brought into my heart and shared with anybody who was interested. The, the favorite place where I ever sang this song was at muscular dystrophy camp when I was 16. I went to serve as an attendant to my dear friend, Flo, who had muscular dystrophy. And our job basically was to help the campers um, manage to, you know, eat their meals, get around from place to place in manual wheelchairs. Most of them had electric wheelchairs, but at the camp... They had manual wheelchairs, so our job was to push them around the camp and take them to their various activities, and we went bowling and did all kinds of fun things. And there was a singing night, and I hadn't really told anybody I could sing, but there was a guy who'd come in, singer-songwriter type guy, who was um, entertaining the crowd, and he said, Does there, is there anybody here who can sing? And I said, well, I can sing. 
I said, do you know the rose? And he said, sure. So he accompanied me on his guitar and I got up and sang the rose. And it was one of my favorite performances ever because the people who were there just loved it so much. And for the rest of the week at camp, they kept asking me to sing it. There's a little piano in the hall that anybody could use. And so anytime we were in there, Jenny, sing the rose, sing the rose. So that was really fun. And I loved the friends that I made there. And I loved that they were so into music and thought of it as one of their great, great things about camp. So, but I've sung it at talent shows. I've sung it for friends. I've sung it for myself, just alone when I needed to pick me up. This song speaks to my heart because it's a challenge to those of us who are feeling like we're not lucky enough to dance and we're not lucky enough for love and we're not lucky enough to live. It's a challenge for us to stand up and say, no, I'm going to live. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do something rather than be a victim or just be lost in depression. And so I share it as a song of comfort. And with this podcast, my goal is to share prayer and a scripture every day and songs that will be of comfort to you. So Monday through Friday, my goal is to get on calling at about 9.55 a.m. every morning have about five minutes of chit-chat with whoever shows up to listen, and then I will share a prayer and a scripture and a song. And then we can just talk. I'm passionate about parental rights, and most of my work online over the last 27 or so years, I got online in 1996. So what is that, like 26, 27 years that I've been online? Most of my work has been dedicated to parents, especially moms, and learning how to wean from the various structures out there that are available for healthcare and education and whatnot. To that end, I promote family sovereignty, parental rights, and healthcare and education. And then I'm going to share these songs with thoughts on the culture wars. And that's the point of this podcast. And again, my goal is to provide a measure of comfort for those of you who are mourning and encouragement that you can move forward with your lives. I spent many hours of my life mourning various things. Uh, Clinical depression has engulfed my mind several times to the point where I just couldn't get off the couch or get out of bed for months. And so I know how that feels. And then I've also struggled with the other flip side of depression, which can be mania, psychosis, hypervigilance, typical manic behaviors that I've over the years learned how to control with sleep and good nutrition and, um, So I feel passionate about sharing stories that might be helpful for you as you're trying to wend your way through these emotional illnesses that can be so disabling. And also find the hope to just pick yourself up 
and uh, do some things that you would not potentially think you could do. And so to that end, I'm going to share a story of how my husband losing his job led to some of the greatest blessings of my life these past 10 years. When we lived in Colorado, in Louisville, Colorado in 2011, my husband was working for Hewlett Packard, which had just bought EDS. He'd been with EDS his whole career, but Hewlett Packard bought it. So he became an HP employee. And this was, you know, post crash 2008 and things we could feel were tenuous at best. The company had done a cross the board 10, 15% salary reduction for everybody. Um, it just felt wobbly. His The projects he was working on were kind of messy and he just didn't feel like um, perhaps he had a future with the company, he wondered. Under this umbrella of, you know, struggling economically, like everybody was doing, we made the decision to sell our home and move into my husband's ancestral home in Utah because his father had just passed away and his sister, who is disabled, wanted us to come live with her and help care for her in exchange for living in the house. We also had three children who were attending Southern Utah University, which was right across the street from the house where my husband's parents had served as professors at that school for their whole careers. So we were excited to go to Utah to support our kids and all lived together and I cooked and kids went to school and did their homework and we just started a new life in Utah in 2012. And things were good. Our kids were able to graduate with very little debt. At one point, we had two boys out serving Mormon missions. We were part of the 800 Club. The 400 Club is when you have one missionary out, but the 400, the $800 Club is when you have two missionaries out. And although our boys had worked really hard to save up for their missions, and my parents had donated generously to their mission funds, um, there came a point with both the boys being out where those funds had all dried up and my daughter was getting ready to be married and my husband lost his job and we had savings for the wedding. We had a little bit of a nest egg from the severance, but it felt very, very wobbly to have us lose the income because nobody wants to go begging off their friends and relatives and we we didn't even really think of the government as a source of money for us and this is one of my pet peeves about my husband losing his job he, because he never went and filed for um, help from the government when he was let go he was not included in the statistics for how many people had lost their jobs and that always kind of made me mad because it made me wonder how many people in his same situation were not being included in the overall jobless numbers? So that was that was interesting. He immediately started sending out resumes to other IT companies to try and find a new job. And he searched in Silicon Valley, and there was a job in Idaho and a job in Texas. And he was searching all over the place to try and find work. It was great working for HP because he was able to work remote and from home. And so that allowed us to go 
to Utah where we could just live wherever we wanted. And he still had his job, but the biggest issue around him losing his job was that I had been diagnosed with chronic hypoxia and put on oxygen because I was always kind of running in the mid to high 80s with my oxygen saturation. And the high altitude of Cedar City, the desert climate, the windiness of that city really wrecked havoc on my my lungs. And uh, we also had a mold problem in the house. It was old. And so all of these factors combined to just really mess with my health. So I had been put on oxygen with the old-fashioned tank system, a concentrator at home that refilled the tanks. And all of a sudden, I was using health benefits that we had never really used much beyond childbirth and a few ER visits with our kids. We use alternative healing, go to alternative doctors and pay out of pocket for their care. We do our own care. So this was one big significant use of our healthcare dollars that we were happy to have because having the oxygen supplementation immediately changed my life. And I was able to go out and do more things and really feel a part of my community on the oxygen. So it was about this time I was recruited to be on the board of directors for the Simon Fest Theater Company, which was in town. And so I was really happy to be a part of that crowd and the oxygen helped that. But when Paul lost his job two weeks after he was like, oh, they, the company came out and garnered my oxygen equipment. And um, during those two weeks, I had a miracle in the form of finding out about the Inogen technology that is a tankless system that enables a person who's on oxygen to really have a life. It's battery operated and you can change out the batteries. And now I was able to go on trips to the temple down to St. George or to events where I knew that the oxygen take, which only lasted five or six hours. Now I had a battery that could extend out to eight or 10 hours. And I, I just had more options and we were able to use the severance money from the job to buy this system. It was used and refurbished, but we were able to buy it and just own it. And this is the time where we really experienced the miracles tied to Paul losing his job. He took over homeschooling our youngest son. And some of my best memories are Paul and Ben at the desk together doing math and science and covering all of the topics that Ben was studying. And it was so joyful to watch him take over and do it so much better than I did. When, when I would do school, I had a deal with Ben that if he would do music, music theory, and singing practice with me, that we would skip several other things in, in lieu of music. And so every day he had to do a math lesson. We sang the national anthem. We said the pledge and we did scripture study together. But if he chose to do music, I let go of some of the other curriculums that we had chosen to do with him that year. And time after time, he said, Mom, let's sing. And I am so glad we did that because it laid the foundation for everything that's come since. Ben just wrote a beautiful song in collaboration with all of his four older siblings for his dad for Father's Day. And he asked his siblings to chime in 
beloved memories without telling them what he was doing. They didn't know what he was doing. I, when he said, I have something for dad, I just had this feeling that it was a song and it was, and he sang it on father's day. And it was just so wonderful to see the, the progress, the arc of his career in music from those homeschool lessons when we would sing and do rhythm exercises and work on the piano and the guitar one-on-one to today when he's writing his own songs and he's just so gifted with his ability to craft the words, which is basically writing poetry, setting it to music, and then sharing his songs with his family and friends. It's just been joyful. The other miracles that came about because of Paul's job loss came in the form of me sort of standing up and saying, you know, I think I can get better. I believe I can get off this oxygen. And so to that end, I started teaching a yoga class at the local studio. I taught classical yoga using classical music, and I taught prenatal yoga. And it was just a way for me to step out and kind of grab back some of my life, which I had lost in the fog of being sick and low oxygen. When you have low oxygen in the 80s, you just don't feel like you can do anything. And that was where I was at when Paul lost his job. We also had the great need to bring in some cash. And so the little bits I earned working in that yoga studio, I also worked as a cashier on campus at the Chick-fil-A. And then I taught uh, theater classes at a local private school just once a week. And those three jobs together really helped help put food on the table and just make it so that we didn't have to turn to anyone in terms of our church welfare system or the government welfare system to help us feed ourselves. We were in the lucky place of, of not having to pay rent because we were living in this home that my husband's parents owned and didn't have a mortgage, but we did have to pay our utilities we did have to buy food and pay for a little bit of health care. And so those three jobs that I worked in later, I had a fourth job working as the entertainment director for the Simon Fest Theater Company. And this was just a professional group of students that we put together to promote the shows during the summer season. But we would we would do gigs all over the city at like the farmer's market. And that was awesome because instead of being paid cash, we did make a little cash from tips, but we were often paid in sourdough bread and jams and meat and different products that they had at the farmer's market. And that was really fun to just have the other vendors recognize how important the music was to their sales because they noticed that when the music stopped, the patrons would all leave. And so they liked to have us there all day and providing the music right up until the, the minute that they closed down because it made more sales for them. But then they would come bring us the leftover food that they had brought from their farms. And that was just really great. So I worked those four jobs, all part-time jobs, but together I worked those jobs. And then my husband was able to get a contract job with a company right there in Cedar City. And he made 25 bucks an hour doing tech support, which I still think that company has no clue who they had on their team in terms of a level four infrastructure specialist who, you know, has some skills. But my husband is such a sweetheart and 
he was just grateful for the work. It wasn't humbling to, to him at all to go and do tech support when, um, before he had been designing, maintaining, and updating massive systems tied to serious level corporate work on the internet. The true miracle this year came when I was able to get off the oxygen and just step out in my life without needing supplementation. That was awesome. And what I learned is I was okay until the cold weather hit. And once it got cold, I, I needed to supplement. So I did use it more in the winter. But I felt healthier. I felt stronger because of getting out and doing more. And it really helped my mental health to, um, to be doing all of these things. Because when I was on the tank system and at home all the time, and we had the insurance, yeah, sure, I could afford 100 bucks a session to go talk to my therapist. I could afford to buy the things I felt like I needed uh, using my husband's income, but I really felt stuck in my disease and didn't really feel like I wanted to go anywhere. It was really cumbersome to drag that tank all over the place. And so I just kind of stayed in my bedroom for a long time. And my husband losing his job introduced me to this new technology, which changed my life. And since we've moved back to Colorado, I have purchased a second Inogen concentrator and uh, the big house concentrator that I use. I've had to be on oxygen again 24-7 for the last couple of years. But having these tools and owning them and knowing that nobody can ever come and take them away from me because of a loss of insurance or a job has been incredibly empowering. And so it gave me the freedom, for example, to work as the choir director for my ward and my stake and do singing situations where we went up to Estes in the dead of winter, 8,000 square feet. I had my little concentrator and I led a choir up there, snowing really cold and I didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me was a miracle to go up to that high of an altitude in the winter and and it worked it worked because when you have hypoxia you don't generally allow yourself to get in situations where you know you'll be worse because when you have a breathing emergency it's an emergency immediately right now at this moment you have to deal with this emergency and i have my meds i carry my meds with me everywhere i use an inhaler and I have an EpiPen and I, you know, have my uh, Benadryl in case if I get in a situation where I need my meds. And I, I love to use peppermint oil as my drug of choice for when I really need to open my airwaves. Uh, it helps with my singing to put a dab of peppermint oil on my tongue. I, I like the doTERRA brand, but Young Living has a pretty good peppermint I just put a drop of peppermint on my tongue and then it opens everything up so that I can sing. And at that particular gig at Estes, I had to give a like 10 minute uh, speech to the crowd in an auditorium. And I did feel faint. There's no question I felt faint. And I had to use my wheelchair to just get around because we, we did a um, sing along with the community Christmas carols. And then my husband wheeled me down to the theater 
where we did more singing in the lobby of this theater. And then I had to go do my spiel down at the, at the stage. I was able to walk again. I didn't pass out. I was able to do it. And those of you who struggle with your breathing, you know why I'm saying that this is such a big deal that I was able to do it because, you know, it's something I wouldn't have dreamed of doing 10 years ago when I was flat on my back sick. But I did it and it upped my confidence and it made me feel like I could have a life. And around that same time, I played Mrs. Fezziwig in A Christmas Carol at the local playhouse. And I thought with this show, I would just have one scene, the Fezziwig party scene, a couple of lines, and I was done. No, once the directors found out that I really could sing, they had me on stage so much in crosses and small scenes and all of it was singing. We sang before the show. I sang with a group of kids during the intermission. And then in the final scenes of the show, they had me sing Silent Night during Tiny Tim's death scene with a group of four backup singers off stage. But I was on stage singing with Mr. Cratchit, this Silent Night solo. He started it and I finished it. And again, off oxygen, miracle, absolute miracle. Just that I was able to do it in a crowded theater, close air, winter, not enough oxygen in the room. As soon as I would walk off stage, I would sit in my chair and hook up to my concentrator and kind of re-up everything. And that is what kind of won the day for me during doing that show. But again, a miracle, a healing miracle to just be able to do it. And so I want to give credit where it's due, which to me is Heavenly Father, the healing power of Jesus Christ. His atonement covers our sins, but it also covers anything that troubles us, our health, our mental health. The atonement of Jesus Christ is the key to finding peace in this life and eternal life in the world to come. And there is no greater peace that comes when you're sick to just have enough oxygen moving through your brain, moving through your body, keeping your heart pumping and keeping you alive, giving you this life. So I am grateful for all of the many blessings that have come into my life that have resulted from troubles, trials. I think it would have been easy for me once Apria came and stole the oxygen tank system back and I was sitting there going, well, what am I going to do? You know, just use the meds. I guess I can use the meds. They have a lot of side effects. But I, I could have just been a victim. Instead, I got on my knees and I said, Father, there has to be an answer in this situation. I want you to guide me to it. And he did. He absolutely did. So I'll always be grateful for that. And the other miracle that happened around the same time is that my husband would get to like level five interview with all these tech companies, which means, you know, they're, they're really testing your technical skill and he would always pass the technical side of it with flying colors, but they wouldn't hire him. And he went through this process several times with really great companies, even Stanford university thought about bringing him on as part of their tech people. And so as he went through these interviews, we were hopeful, a little bit nervous about having to move. Maybe we have to go live in Palo Alto. I wasn't sure I wanted to live in California. 
I for sure didn't want to move down to Texas. I felt like the humidity and the heat would be too much for my lungs. But there came a day when I was praying and I was like, Father, where are we going to go? What's next? What's around the corner? Two years we've been in limbo, not sure what was going to happen. One of our sons had returned from his mission. The other one was still out. And it was just like, what is going to happen? And the Holy Spirit came back at me and said, where do you want to live? I was like, is it my choice? Do I get to pick? Where do you want to live, Jenny? And I was like, well, if I can't live in Cedar, which we couldn't figure out how to work in Cedar, there was no IT corporation that you could hire on with. Uh, I said, well, if I get to pick, I want to go back to Colorado. Boulder's home. Our daughter was here. She was married and, you know, lots and lots of friends. Two weeks later, a job came up on the job board for a company in Longmont, Colorado. The skill set was perfect for what my husband does and did and does do today. And um, he was hired. We had two weeks (laughs) to pack and go, which was quite stressful in the dead of winter. We drove through two blizzards. We went up north to I-80 because we thought we'd have an easier time dealing with the weather going across I-80. I'm not sure that was true, but we decided to bypass the mountains on I-70 and go up to I-80. So we drove up, drove through two blizzards, a trip that probably could have easily been done in one day over normal conditions. We had planned to do it in two days just to give ourselves a break, but ended up taking three days because of these two blizzards we drove through. Our dog Sam had died a few days before we were going to leave, and we were all mourning for Sam and the loss of our pet. I had picked the apartment complex we live in here in Longmont because it was one of the only ones in town that allowed pets. So we were sad about leaving Sam behind, and Ben did not want to get in the truck. He did not want to come. Kept saying, I'm not leaving my dog. We had buried him, and we're like, Ben, we can't can't take a dead dog in the truck. It's not going to work. No place to bury him over in Colorado. We just need to let it go. So that was stressful and trying. And um, when we arrived, we were foot sore, road weary, cold, dehydrated, exhausted. I was on the verge of getting really sick. And we had a truck to unload that had a whole lot of food storage in it. When we drove up to our apartment, our new apartment, it was dark and snowing. There was nothing in the apartment. We were like, well, at least we can just maybe bring some sleeping bags in and sleep on the floor. So we unloaded a few items. But um, as we laid down to rest that night, we were nervous because Paul had to start work in three days on Monday morning. We needed to buy a car and we needed to get a bed. (laughs) and first and foremost, we needed to empty that truck. And although my son-in-law and my daughter showed up to help, we didn't want him to have to do the whole thing by himself. There's a lot of food storage in there. And I made a call to our local bishop and told him the situation. And he said, well, we're already committed to help another family move out of their home. And they just had twins and We're going to help move them into a bigger home. 
So I'll see if I can rustle up a few people, but I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. So the next morning, it's Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, which I had kind of put out the feelers to certain friends that we had in the area and to my kids, you know, let's all meet at 10 to unload the truck. And this group of men and teenage boys showed up and knocked on my door. I said, we're here to help you unload. And I was like, really? There was a lot of them. It's like a dozen, maybe 15 people, all from our church congregation. And then the high priest showed up in a truck and the people who they were helping to move lived in our building. They lived one flight of stairs up from where we live. And as these older men from the high priest group were emptying their apartment down the stairs and into their truck, they would pop over to our truck and get something and bring it into our house. And the men and boys who had showed up earlier had created a fireman's chain to load that food storage into our home, just tossing those boxes one by one. This was the foundation of our bed for the first couple of years before we were able to buy a frame. They had that truck unloaded in an hour. And the people upstairs were unloaded and loaded into their truck very soon after that, and the job was done. This also, to me, was a divine signature of these people who just happened to be in the same place, the same building, the same people who I had asked, hey, can you guys give us a hand? We're already helping other people at the very same hour. And in an hour, all of us working together, we got it done. Miracle, not an accident, divine signature from God that he's got our back. He's watching out for us. He's providing us with help in our moment of need. All these strangers, they didn't know us. They heard the call of a bishop who said, hey, there's a family who could use some help. Can you show up? And these guys dropped everything on a snowy January morning, Saturday, when they could have been doing a million other things. And they heard the call and they said, yeah, we want to help. I offered all of them some mandarin oranges and some cinnamon rolls and orange juice I had bought. And it felt so inadequate to say thanks for this help and what it meant to us in that moment. We left there, took the truck to the car lot where we had found a car online that we thought we might want to buy. We test drove the car, bought it, which took several hours. While my husband was working with buying the car, I drove the truck over to a mattress, Denver mattress, and bought a mattress for our bed because we didn't have anything to sleep on. Was much dismayed to hear it was going to be several days before they could get that delivered. We ended up sleeping on the floor of our apartment for a couple of nights. Didn't have the cash to pay for a hotel. It felt like we were newlyweds again. We sent our son over to our daughter's house to be with her for a couple days. Because he didn't want to sleep on the floor anymore. She had an extra bed. But we stayed in our apartment and started putting things away. And when we turned the truck in and knew that we had a bed and we had a car and a job, again, we knew that God had our back. 
and we were ready to go back to work. Paul started his new job that next Monday, and we started to dig ourselves out of the pit of despair that comes with losing a job and losing the benefits and losing the status and so much loss. And I'll tell you, there were certain people who just randomly would send us checks. I have a friend here in Colorado, Bree. She sent us $400 to cover a month of one of my son's missions. It just showed up. I don't even know that she knew we were, my husband had lost his job. This check showed up and we needed it in the moment that it arrived. Here, this is for Andy's mission. Love you guys. Bye. Same thing with my brother-in-law. He knew we were out of work, but there was a day when there was a deep deficit. We had bills to pay. He donated $800 to the mission fund. Covered a month for each of my boys. Then there was a group of people in our ward in Cedar City who also wanted to donate $1,000 to the mission fund to keep our boys on their missions. And when we moved here to Colorado, that mission fund had racked up about $1,100 that we just hadn't been able to pay back yet. Andy was still out. He was about to come home. And we just had too much we had to pay for, so we hadn't paid it off. And um, that same bishop who asked those men to show up came up to me one day and said that the ward, the Long's Peak ward, had paid that debt for us. It's, I still cry when I think about it because Paul and I are the type of people who we we want to do for ourselves we try to model that for our kids. We want to take care of ourselves, our health, our finances, everything. We want to pay our bills like everybody. We, we don't want to freeload off of anyone or presume that other people need to pay our bills. That's on us. But when he just did it, I mean, I had been working as an Uber driver trying to make the money to pay off that debt. And I was sick and struggling with my health. And I was not able to work as much as I had hoped to pay that down. And Andy came home from his mission and was ready to go to school. And it was just like, we still have to pay that off. It was weighing on me. And to have this good bishop just say, you know what? We're going to wipe that for you. Um, he didn't have to do that. We didn't expect it. But it meant so much. And, you know, my boys had worked so hard. Andy had worked for a wheat farmer in the deserts of Cedar City. He raised wheat for animal feed. It was organic wheat. And Andrew's job was to kill thistles in that wheat field with a shovel. Ten bucks an hour. This is what he did to earn money for his mission all summer killing thistles with a shovel in the hot sun. He would get so sunburned. And when I think about the effort that he put out to earn money for his mission, which did last for like a whole year of his mission, and then we had to kind of step up and and pay the rest, um, and then kind of balance it with this thing that just happened with paying off student loans, I just 
I just feel a little bit nauseous about the, um, the whole big picture. I, I really don't want to point the finger of scorn at students or the situations that they find themselves in. I really think that the whole thing has many layers and concerns for all of us. And so I'm not here to condemn, but I watched the All In Pod this morning. It's my favorite podcast. And when Friedberg went off on this student loan thing, I wanted to stand up and cheer. So I'm going to share a part of it with you. This is not fair, yada, yada. Go down that list and ask yourself that question. Is it a positive ROI to progress our country forward? Or is it a bailout for people that had some liability they took on that they can't cover? And I think for all those things that are unfair, a really important point, we cannot get caught up in the endless cycle of making up for other people's unfair uh, um, benefits that they got from this, from this government. Because at the end of the day, that's a road to nowhere. We will burn through everything we have and everyone will scramble for money. And that's the state that we're in right now where everyone's raising their hand and they're seeing $800 billion bills, $600 billion bills, COVID relief, pandemic relief, PPP loan relief. And everyone says, well, what about me? And at the end of the day, everyone's what about me is gonna drive us into an infinite black hole that we will never get out of. And we have to change our mindset and take individual responsibility and recognize that the dollars that we're spending have to have an ROI for progression of us as a whole. And this is a really dangerous place that we're in right now. Sachs, if the, uh, if the education comments. I, like I said, go listen to it. It is episode 93, all in pod on YouTube. Um, listen to the whole show. It's excellent. It, it really deconstructed the student loan situation perfectly, in my opinion. And um, I've engaged in some debate on Colin about this issue. I've listened to lots of opinion, read several pieces on it. And I don't think the Supreme Court is going to allow Biden's executive order to kick in anyway. I don't think it's going to happen. But um, I do not like the mindset that this engenders, especially in our young people. And again, when I think about the goals that my husband and I have had for ourselves, for our family, of sovereignty, freedom, economic freedom, the way we've chosen to live our life, not turning to the church or the government to take care of us or our families in any way with food, money, or anything, and yet being put at certain times in our lives in a position where we did have to have some help here and there from family, from the church welfare system where uh, I don't know if you understand how the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints operates in regards to welfare, but there is a Bishop storehouse that if you are in financial straits, and this has happened to us twice during our married life, uh, there is food available if you qualify for it. And two times we were able to supplement what we were doing with our food storage and uh, were able to tap into that, and it helped so much. When, again, we were drowning 
in debt and overwhelm and needed some relief. So these are my thoughts on this beautiful day. I hope that we can all work together to recognize the values. And these are traditional American values of teaching our people to care for their own, teaching our people to accept the adult responsibilities that come with being a parent. I'm troubled by how many moms presume that it's other people's jobs to feed their children. I think having a large group of our citizens dependent on those foodstuffs is a mistake and that we should do everything we can to encourage the young moms especially to hold off on having their families until they're in a situation where they know that they can properly house and feed them. And I honor those young couples today who think these things through before they get pregnant. It's so important that before you assume the mantle of mother and father, that you are prepared to take good care of your children, provide them with housing and food and clothing. And I hope going forward that the government, the business sector and others, especially influencers, will do everything they can to make things easier for young families to prosper economically, but also have a beautiful, healthy life. So thank you for tuning in. This again was my test show. And um, I so appreciate you giving me a little bit of your time. God bless you.